Hey everyone, welcome to the Brainy SLP podcast. My name is Danielle Kent and I am a mom, wife, and multi-passionate SLP, wild about equipping parents and professionals to confidently teach problem solving, socialization, communication, and play to all of our neurodiverse learners. By making our practices inclusive, we can reach all learners. All brains are amazing and understanding neurodiversity is key to our future. Let's go. Hey everyone, welcome to episode seven. This episode is all about the blending of socialization, communication, and play. So if you've been around here a little while, you know that I love executive functioning. And as I've kind of become a little bit, and look really closely at how I'm going to talk about these different domains of how we really interact as human beings and how we all interact differently from a neurodiversity to inclusion-focused perspective, I've really started to separate the skills into these domains, socialization, communication, and play, or play and executive functioning. The skills we need in order to play really are those skills that we see when we think about executive functioning. That ability to hold on to information, hold on to a play plan, that ability to make a play plan, that ability to know where your things are or to be organized, that ability to be flexible if your plan changes, that ability to really relate to those around you and think about those around you and shift your attention. It's really important when we think about play that, you know, most educators know that play is really complex. But in today's episode, I want to share with you some real key areas of play that are really, really important when we think about supporting all learners with play. So first of all, if you haven't started following me on YouTube, I want you to start following me. I'm creating some really great content that's really focused on teaching all students about how all brains are awesome and how all learners have different ways of playing and engaging in socialization and communication. So in order to play, there are some real, there are some different types of play. And, you know, if you have been, um, if you have taken classes, if you have been in the education field, if you have um, a child, you'll probably notice some of these different types of play. And so as I'm starting to get ready to get more play-based information, you're probably already thinking about some different areas of play, right? So the different areas of play if you think about the most early functions and really looks at play, is that we start to have, um, you know, if you look at some of the earliest researchers in Belsky and Piaget, the stages of play went from mouthing to simple manipulation to functional, relational, functional, relational, and active naming, pretend self, and pretend others. The one that I really like um, in terms of play and stages of play is and as, as it relates to language abilities. And this is by Westby um, from 1980 and 1988. Um, and this is a real great look at the different stages of play. And stage one, um, which is nine to 12 months, is when we have toy use, but no true language yet. And no true language really means there's no one-to-one -one correspondence between its, the word and its referent. So when I say apple, um, you know, it's consistently referring to the apple item. So no true language, that's what no true language means. Stage two is from 13 to 17 months when there's typically a purposeful toy exploration with some motor schemes and variable first words. And those first words really are typically, remember that one-to-one -one correspondence between a word and its referent. Stage three from 17 to 19 months is symbolic play directed towards self. 
So an item is something else, like a banana is a telephone. Stage four, 19 to 22 months, play moves outside the child. They're really learning to interact with others and have some of that engaging play. Stage five, around 24 months, play starts to consist of routines and familiar events. Stage six, at 30 months, there are less familiar events and routines are seen in play. Stage seven, which is around 36 months, play themes combined into episodes with multiple schemes. Stage eight, play is less dependent on objects and includes scripts, more use of dialogue. So that real emergence of pretend play where everyone has a different function, everyone has um, a role in play. Stage nine, play themes are organized and elaborate. Stage 10, play themes include sequences not yet experienced. So around five, it's it's play, it's things they haven't experienced, they're gonna experience in the future. And play is planned. So by you know, age five, you start to be able to really demonstrate and create those play plans. Although I will say play plans do start in preschool when children learn to start directing themselves during play. So those are the 10 stages of play as they relate to linguistic abilities. So when we think about all play being awesome, does that mean that if a child is at a younger stage of play, that's that's not as awesome? No, it doesn't. It just means that everybody is at a different stage of play. And while developmentally, we have some norms, that doesn't mean that if a child isn't at a stage that we need to be rushing them to make their play more neurotypical. So in a YouTube video I did, I mentioned to all students that everyone plays a little bit differently. So if I were to hand you a train, how would you play with it? What would you do with it? Some kids would take that train and start rolling it around the ground or on a track. Some kids would study it really closely. Some kids would spin the wheels to see how fast they move. And really what's most important is that if we think about, yes, we want to empower our neurodiverse learners to have tools in their toolbox to know how to play with different learners if they want to. And on the flip side of that, our role is to teach all students that all play is awesome and to really empower all students to know how to include all students in play. So what's really interesting is the double empathy problem, which I'm going to take a minute. I had notes and I can't see the researcher that um, just was published on it. The double empathy problem. Thanks for sticking with me while I refine, <laughs> while I refine the research. So the double empathy problem. Um, autistic researcher Damian Milton um, has really looked at the double empathy problem. And what this really highlighted was a, this um, kind of bi-directional challenge of that autistic individuals also felt like their neurotypical their neurotypical peers in a group setting when they were did a group interaction really struggled to relate to them. And that the neurotypical students or neurotypical individuals felt like their autistic peers couldn't relate to them well. And so it was a bi-directional challenge where both populations struggled to really relate to each other. When the autistic adults, autistic individuals worked with each other on a project, their levels of, um, their, their feelings of have, you know, being understood and being related to were much higher than working with neurotypical individuals. 
And this really relates to when I think about classrooms and especially the phenomenon of, of disabilities and disorders and how when we pathologize, we tend to have this less than perspective. So if you're still at a younger stage developmentally of play, that that's somehow less than. And I really want to, I want to smash that knowledge. I want to, I want to, I want to change that. I want you to think differently about that because if we're really operating from an all brains are awesome perspective and specifically today, if all play is awesome, then as SLPs, as parents, as professionals, how can we teach all kids that all play is awesome? So I think about, um, if you're listening to this as a, as a parent of a neurotypical child, how can you teach your child to learn from and interact with neurodiverse learners? What are some simple ways you can do that? Well, first and foremost, really interacting and engaging and really looking at how neurodiverse learners function on a daily basis. Ask them, ask their parents, ask families, what are some supportive ways to interact and play? If you're a parent of a neurotypical child, consider how can you teach your child to learn to stay and interact with a neurodiverse learner, if it's of a desire to the neurodiverse learner. We really want to be respectful of all learners and their need for time alone. But as I teach um, kids, I teach families about me time, we time, you time. Me time is when I'm doing my thing. You time is you're doing your thing. But when we come together in a shared space, it's an opportunity for we time. So in those moments of we time, what can we do to teach all of our kids about how to interact with one another and support all learners? I hope this just starts to give you a little bit of thought about play and how all play can be awesome. And so one of the ways that I'll sometimes do this is I'll, I'll do a video model or I'll do a social story that's for a whole class that's teaching the class how everyone can have a different role in a play scheme. So for example, if Sally really loves to spin the wheels on a toy train, what role, how could she help in the play scheme that's going on? How can we use her strengths? Just like Johnny, who is directing the play, how can we use Johnny's strengths? How can we use uh, Bob's strengths? How can we use everybody's strengths to come together in a play scheme, even if it might look different than your strengths? I think the earlier we can get in with kids, the earlier we can talk about all brains being awesome, all learners having strengths, the earlier we can get in and talk about this, the more that our kids will grow up with this natural understanding that neurodiversity is awesome and it's necessary. It's key to our future. We need all brains to solve the problem of the future. And play, since we're using some of our best and, and um, most underutilized executive functioning skills in play, I want you to think about how we can teach all learners in, in your place of employment, with your kids, with your clients, about all play being awesome. How can you empower your students? What can you do? What tools can you use to make sure that you're teaching and equipping your neurodiverse learners with tools in the toolbox so they, they are able to play if they want to, and all learners can play and include all other learners in their play schemes. Let me know what you think. I'd love to hear your feedback. We'll see you next week for the next episode of the Brainy SLP. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Brainy SLP podcast. All parents and professionals welcome with a focus on neurodiversity and inclusion. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to find me on social media on Instagram at Miss Danielle Kemp or at Danielle Kemp. I would love to connect. I believe there's power in connection and we all can learn from each other and our experiences. See you next time.